abstraction is important. We need to help the community and help people use it for free. But at the same time, we have to have our eye on how this is sustainable in the long run. Hi, I'm Anu, your host here at Traction, where we talk about customer-centric playbooks for building and growing enterprise product adoption. Today, we're having coffee with Louis Sezi, founder and CEO of OctoML, University of Washington professor in computer science and venture partner at Madrona. Louis, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Anu. I would say my professor job is more of a lifestyle than a job. I like doing research. That's what motivates me intellectually. And in fact, there was a genesis of OctoML as a company. It was a research project at the University of Washington. So I'm super happy to talk about it. Great. What were some of the series of events that led you to the creation of TVM? And what was the pain or need that you were trying to address? That's a great question. It's great to reflect on it after so many years too. About six, seven years ago, it was already pretty clear that machine learning was becoming integral part of applications, right? Applications had machine learning components for natural language processing, for computer vision, you know, image analysis and so on. And there was a growing set of machine learning models that people were starting to care about. And that set kept growing very, very fast. And of course, you need to map those models into hardware where they run, CPUs, GPUs, and now more and more accelerators are specialized in machine learning and FPGAs, especially as we embed intelligence in the edge, in the cloud, and everything in between. So then at that time, it was becoming clear that it has a growing set of models, growing set of hardware targets. I need a way of mapping them efficiently. And this is typically done by having specialized stacks that are either hardware specific or end user specific or technology, large technology company specific. And our goal as a research project at UW was to build a unified layer that allows one to abstract a lot of the complexities of deploying machine learning models into hardware. And at the same time, allow models to evolve at the pace that machine learning researchers want them to evolve and allow the hardware to evolve in a way that hardware vendors can make the most out of the silicon that they have and then can explore the technology, the architecture ideas and architecture features. So we built TVM and TVM stands for Tensor Virtual Machine. So by virtual machine, we really mean create a clean abstraction between the models and the hardware. And we started that project as an open source project to begin with, because anything that has diversity at the top and diversity at the bottom, you need a community to drive it. So we wanted to start a community. And luckily we had industrial users right from the beginning and then the community moved very fast. There is a vibrant TVM community now, and the TVM conference is coming up, I believe, on the 3rd and 4th of December. Mm -hmm. Tell us a bit about the early days. How did the community form and what brought you all together? Some of the early participants of the research project had a history already with machine learning systems. You know, Tian Chi Chen, who's a grad student at UW that Carlos Gastri and I co-advised. So he had started MXNet, which is another popular machine learning framework, and also XGBoost, yet another machine learning package that's used by data scientists quite a bit. So Tian Chi Chen has this great taste and great way of actually gelling communities, especially in the early days on the research side. I guess the observation that we had made that there was some complexity brewing that would be a pain happened to be right. So right in the beginning, we had Amazon came on board very early on as a contributor and as a user. And when you have an industrial user, things tend to move fast because they want to make it hardened for production. And then harder vendors started noticing it because the pain of machine learning deployment is intense for harder vendors. So if they don't have a software stack, their hardware is not very useful, right? It's on them to make sure that their hardware is useful for all of the machine learning end users. So ARM came on board shortly after and started contributing and using it. And then Qualcomm and then Xilinx because we had FPJ supports and then things moved very fast. Fast forward to today, we have, I think as of yesterday, 438 contributors or something like that. This is active contributors writing code. It's fairly popular on GitHub, despite being a fairly specialized stack and the community 
is very active in communicating. Like the discuss forum is pretty active. And the first conference we, we held had close to 200 people already that flew from all over the world to Seattle. How do you think about channeling some of the early momentum into broadening the awareness? That's a great question. It's especially interesting, I think, for something like TVM, because unlike other open source packages that has only a single category of users, TVM has two categories, two groups of users. One are hardware vendors, and their interest is making sure that their hardware has a good software stack that connects with machine learning frameworks such that end users can use it. The other category of users is the machine learning end users, and their goal with TVM, with something like TVM, is to make sure that their models run well on all of the hardware that they care about. So as you can tell, these two are complementary, but actually fairly distinct. From the hardware vendor's point of view, they want the stack to be, first of all, complete to support a broad set of models and also be easy to extend to their new hardware. Since the pain is very acute for them, we have significant coverage of the hardware vendors. Let's say all of the TVM has, as a community, has connection to all of the major hardware vendors and TVM as a software stack actually works really well in most of the hardware that people care about. Now, that means that the awareness in the hardware vendor is easier because the set of users is smaller and their pain is so intense that they come and find us, right? So they learn about it and TVM got quite a bit of visibility in that space. Now, the story is a bit different on the machine learning and user side. As you know, machine learning is extremely popular. There's a much broader set of data scientists and machine learning engineers than folks that write the guts of system software that's closer to the hardware, right? So in that case, the way we are bringing awareness there is, first of all, making TVM very easy to use. Historically, being a compiler slash runtime system, it's sort of like this thorny piece of software that has inherent complexity and it's hard to use. It's really targeted at system software engineers. But over the years, we've been simplifying making TVM very easy to connect to the high-level frameworks. Like we made a lot of tutorials that shows things like, hey, if you are a TensorFlow user or a PyTorch user, there are tutorials on how to get started, how to get your model to run through TVM and deploy it to bring even more awareness that TVM is very effective on classes of models that people care about. For example, we had a partnership with Hugging Face a few months ago where we showed how to speed up large language models that have sparse we can talk about what sparse means later, but essentially it has to have good support for sparsity to run well, and CVM did that. We also connect to adjacent communities, folks that use PyTorch, folks that are interested in high-performance computer vision, for example, and so on. How important do you think is the hardware coverage that you mentioned? I know you mentioned that it's painful for the hardware vendors, but your customers also appreciate the coverage. Could you talk a little bit about how that builds on itself? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it's all about thinking about the use cases. For example, if you develop a machine learning model that is intended to run on smartphones, Android smartphones, there are actually, I don't know if people know about this, but actually hundreds of different hardware chipsets in Android phones. And you might actually have to optimize for each one of those for your model to run well on your customer's base. If anyone's serious about machine learning deployment, the machine learning is an integral component of their applications, we have to think about where is it that their machine learning model is going to run. If it's in the edge, they have to care about the edge diversity, which is ever growing. And if it is in the cloud, you also care about hardware diversity and hardware coverage and being able to run your model well, because looking at all of the major cloud providers, accelerators popping up everywhere. Amazon has Inferentia, Microsoft has an FPGA-based accelerator, Alibaba has their own accelerators, Google has TPUs. And not only that, there's like a very different cost structure if you want to run a model on a CPU on a GPU or an accelerator. And it became this multivariate optimization problem that you have to really think about how do you hit the important things and at the same time keep the cost down. Let me give you an example. If you're running a language model in a chatbot, 
Okay, so when you run it at scale because your chatbot is popular, you have a latency requirement. You got to offer a reply to your user within a couple hundred milliseconds. If it's much faster than that, it doesn't really matter that much. In fact, if you're paying extra money for that, it's not bringing you any value. Then what you, after you hit the latency target, what you care about is that how many of those replies you can do per dollar. So throughput per dollar is a different one. And now if you're able to actually get your model to run on a variety of hardware, you can actually get what's the best hardware that gives you the highest throughput per dollar while you're still guaranteeing the latency requirement. So anyone that's serious about machine learning today, given that it's so complex to deploy it, you're either not hitting your requirements or you are leaving resources at the table and then paying more than you should. That absolutely makes sense. Another thing that application developers or your customers would care about is operator coverage. How do you think about that? That's another great question. I hope I'm not going to get too technical here, but I get excited about this. As you know, machine learning models evolve, right? And a good chunk of the evolution of these machine learning models is that you have new operators. And the way operators are dealt with today is that harder vendors employ an army of really talented engineers that go and write handcrafted, hand-tuned operators for their hardware target. It's obviously not sustainable because the hardware is changing fast and the model is changing fast. So what we need to do is build automation in that process. So the way not only I think about it, but say the TVM community thinks about it and more and more of the folks working on efficient machine learning think about this. How can you automate the process of generating efficient operator code? That's what TVM really excels at. In fact, putting my academic hat for a second, our core papers that got pretty popular in the last couple of years about TVM are on how to use machine learning to generate efficient operator code automatically. Because with that, you can automate the process of onboarding new models and tuning for new hardware. In one sense, the way we think about operator coverage is automate as much as possible, automate the engineering involved in keeping up with operator coverage. That makes sense. You have a tremendous community going. You have a great product in TVM. How do you think about commercializing it? First, I want to make it clear that we're fully committed to the open source community and to the open source version of TVM. We're not forking TVM. We're not doing the style of commercialization where we have a special version of TVM that only we have. In fact, a good chunk of our engineering goes straight into Apache TVM. Everyone can benefit from it. And our monetization strategy is a two-pronged approach. One is making TVM very, very easy to use and truly turnkey. In typical SaaS style, we're offering a hosted version of TVM that you don't have to install anything. You don't have to set up benchmarking hardware. So that means that we maintain a collection of different instances in the cloud with all of different CPUs and GPU configurations. We also have our own cluster of boards of different hardware targets. Think of it like different chips that would be in Android phones or in other smartphones and then ARM chipsets and Dialynx FPGAs and mobile GPUs and so on. That means that by using the optimizer, you can enjoy the benefits of TVM without having to set up the hardware and set up TVM itself. And we have an API to automate it and so on. And we also offer a very deep performance analysis and benchmarking. So you, you upload your model, you can run in a bunch of hardware, you can see how well it runs in all of this hardware to help you make procurement decisions or decisions of which chip you're going to use in your machine learning gizmo or which node in the cloud you want to run it on. The other side of the commercialization is that, as I mentioned before, TVM uses machine learning to optimize the code generation for a model. That needs data. That needs data on how each hardware target behaves. The data set we collect very actively. And if you use TVM through the optimizer, you can use a data set immediately. So it gives you a significant head start in using it. To summarize, the strategy is making it very easy to use as a SaaS offering, not having to set up anything, plus all the data that makes TVM work really, really, really well. And then, of course, there's like support and we have the folks that help start TVM or part of the company and support it well and we know how to use it. 
And you mentioned that you want to make Optimizer as something that developers can really simply use and get started with. How do customers use it as part of their existing setup? We are going to release the Optimizer beta late October. We use it internally and, and we gave previews to close customers and partners. But the way to use it today is that we have two interfaces. You upload a model, literally it's a package with your model in a web interface, you choose your harder targets, and then you click optimize, you wait a little bit of time, you get back detailed benchmarks, and then for each one of the harder targets that you selected, you see the performance, and then you can click download the package binary, highly optimized for that target, ready to go. We have both an API and a web interface for that. The API is such that if you want to automate it further. And via the API, one of the things that we're working on now is CI-CD integration. So make it fully automatic. If you keep your models in GitHub, for example, we're looking at GitHub Actions that as you upload the model, the CI-CD infrastructure calls the optimizer to get binaries for the model and push it back. And it's just the beginning. We have a vision of covering a lot more the machine learning operations lifecycle Right now, we're that focused on taking the model from the hands of data scientists to binaries to be deployed in the hardware and making the optimization and packaging super easy there. Now, we are looking at ways of adding instrumentation to monitor how your model is doing in deployment and collecting more telemetry, how the model is doing, increase data for observability and so on. Good luck for the upcoming launch. Thank you. Yeah. How would customers think about building versus buying? Great question. It, it's all about the time to market, how much that matters to you for the end result of what you want to get with TVM, and then the skills available. If you're a very sophisticated user, like what happens today, we have quite a few users that already use TVM and they come to us because they want more automation and they want to free their engineers to do other things. Now on the building investors buying, as I said, there is a data component into making TVM working well that is important to think about. So if you're going to decide to build, and we do support users, by the way, even though we do have a paid for support, if people come ask questions, we're more than happy to help. Even as, as a gesture of like, we want to support the community and we do that a lot and we're happy to do so. Of course, if it gets like heavy support and we talk about a contract with them. But anyways, if you do decide to go and build as opposed to buying the optimizer, you have to collect all this data of the models against hardware to make the TVM machine learning machinery work well. And that takes effort, right? So if that's going to cost you a few weeks or a month of work, now coming to the optimizer saves you that time. And if that matters to you, there's value right there. And a lot of different companies have built their businesses around open source, thinking about various different kinds of business models. So there are services that are exclusively support. Others are enterprise licenses around an open core. And then there is fully managed services, the software as a service example, as you were describing with Optimizer. How did you think about which option to choose? Are there other options beyond these? Just to complement what's said, we do have supports today. Like if you're just interested in using TVM as an end user or as a hardware vendor, we have customers that are exactly on that purely support. We also have support plus plus, which means that not only we offer support, we also augment the open source package with features that matters to you. All goes back to the open source, but the enterprise SaaS version that has the data benefits on top of that. Now, what are some other things that we could think about there and other founders that are building companies out of open source could think about this? Subscriptions that go beyond just the package itself directly. For example, if the output is useful, the output of TVM are binaries for models people care about. So some of the ideas are, what if we had a repository of the output of TVM that people can use and tap into? We always keep it up to date and keep it fresh 
with respect to the latest models and the latest advances and keep the vinyls ready for people to use. So we are looking to opportunities that way. And I'm sure there are parallels to that in other open source projects where what you sell is not direct access to the open source package or making it easier like the SaaS offering or making it more featureful with an outer loop of use. You're talking about getting the output and building a collection of that and setting a subscription. I think that's something that's interesting. We're definitely thinking about it. That's great. In fact, that's one of the points we talk about in Traction as well, that you alluded to a model where you start to build some network effects. So if you have a model hub where you keep the models fresh and up to date, perhaps you might share a little bit about how you think about that turning into a network effect that expands the community, that feeds back into the community and the open source project, but also into commercializing the product. Yeah, absolutely. So I wish I had a whiteboard here because now it starts getting a graph of, you know, how things relate to each other. I would say that having a model hub the way we've been thinking about it is beyond just having a model zoo where you have the model code and the parameters. I'm talking about like a deployable binary that is highly optimized specific target. It means that a single model could have multiple entries there that are tuned for different hardware targets. The reason I think that leads to a network effect is because first of all, people see how fast of a code TVM generates for each models. And they might wonder like, oh, what does it do to my custom model? Probably most serious users of machine learning, they don't use stock models. They tune the model to their specific use case like a home camera, you want to specialize your vision model to pets, people, and toys or cars. That's a variant of a model that exists. So you want to see, oh, you know, TVM does super well with popular computer vision models. Let me see how it does with my model. And then they come and use that. And then they might produce variants and push it back to the hub. The binary model hub as not something useful in and of itself, but also as a way of showing how well TVM does, I think it's sort of like the seed of a network effect that can bring more users to the open source, to the product potentially. You wear multiple hats, Lewis, from academia and research to being a venture partner at Madrona to being CEO of OctoML. Could you help us connect the dots between these various pursuits? First of all, yeah, it may seem extreme, like, you know, there's all these three roles. And it's like, you know, you crazy or hyper distracted. And I would say that it's important to point out how synergistic these jobs are. As a professor, I work with grad students and postdocs and colleagues and researchers that are pushing new technologies that create opportunities for entrepreneurship. So there you go, have the intersection between professor and venture partner. And then the third thing is being involved and seeing what works and what doesn't and see the movement in entrepreneurship and being closely involved with research projects with grad students. We observe opportunities like TVM. It had momentum. It had de-risk via a movement that got traction and seeing all the trends in startup opportunities. And not only that, the talent. Academia is in a privileged position to have talent right there. And then at the prime time of their professional careers that are ready and with the passion to go. So I feel very lucky to have fantastic people around me. And having these three roles, I think, catalyzed the formation of OctoML. All the stars aligned. TVM had traction. The grad students were finishing their PhDs. And I said this is synergy. Like, these roles are synergistic. And I make the most out of them together. So that's why it makes it feasible to actually have the three roles. Absolutely. Maybe talk a little bit about the challenges of not just the three roles that you have, but specifically on the open source bit and turning that into a company and building a business. The big challenge is not losing sight of the fact that the core of the value is the traction of the open source project. That might seem counterintuitive, but why are we building and putting all of these resources and time and money or something that's completely open and free? I'll say the challenge is being very cognizant that yes, we have to continue pushing the open source project. Traction is important and we need to help the community and help people use it for free. But at the same time, we have to have our eye on how this is sustainable in the long run. Classic thing of 
how do you avoid your strength, which is traction open source community, not kill future opportunities? So that's why I liked your questions about what is the value add of a commercial product on top of the open source project. And I'd say that's the biggest challenge is making sure that you keep those in sync with where the open source project is going without compromising its traction, because that's the core of the value in terms of conversion opportunities, as well as having a technology foothold there. Not meaning to turn too controversial, but maybe just as a closing question, could you talk about where you might have seen it go wrong? For example, if you want to call out things that we shouldn't do in that journey. We have to be careful not to compromise the integrity of the community and the enthusiasm of the community. Like if it just feels like the community is working for a company that just doesn't work. And also not pay attention to what are the commercialization opportunities early on. So open source project might continue making progress, but then if you don't build the business in a reasonable enough timeline, then the commercial opportunity might fizzle out and eventually even the open source community itself might fizzle out. I've also seen other open source projects that lost relevance before the commercial opportunity materialized. You've probably seen in the containers world, there's projects that had significant momentum. There was a big noisy commercial activity around it, significant investment, founders passionate about the open source project, but then unfortunately the open source project lost relevance before the company materialized as a business. That didn't work out. It almost feels like the community also desires commercialization to some extent so that there could be investment that could be channeled back into the community and the project. Right, absolutely. That's where we see ourselves in a privileged position here. OctoML having a lot of the principles of the project, being part of the company, and we as a company putting a lot of resources. I would say that more than half of our engineering resources go straight into the open source project. And the community really likes it because then they see there's a steady flow of engineering effort and there's other big players too. You know, Amazon's a big player, a close collaborator of ours. Arm is yet another really big commercial player that's putting a lot of resources. The community loves it because they see things moving fast. And and being hardened and getting into industrial strength faster than if you just relied on academic or occasional use. I think that sort of like closes this feedback loop of people saying like, oh, this is serious. They go and try it and then they file an issue and then two hours later, the issue is fixed. That keeps things moving, right? Thank you, Lewis. This was so much fun. Great. Thank you. Thank you. This was, this was awesome. For the listeners, if you're interested, come and search for TVM Conference 2020. This uh, year is virtual. You know, guess what? That means it's free and you have access to the material offline as well after the conference. So please come and, and join us. Thank you.